Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Kuat Racks. Kuat makes industry-changing products, including kayak, bike, and truck bed racks for the Ozark Outdoorsman, manufactured with the utmost care to quality, style, and longevity. With their lifetime, no worries, limited warranty, they stand behind their products like no other company. Most importantly, Kuat gives back to the community and makes positive impacts on the environment by partnering with grassroots groups. Through their Future Forest Initiative, they plant one tree for conservation with each rack sold. Kuat is based in Springfield, Missouri, and proudly supports all things Ozarks, including this show. Visit kuat.com for more information. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. It is the holidays. We're coming off of Christmas. We're heading into the new year. We're going to keep this episode brief, but we've got some fun stuff for y'all on this one. We're going to tell some stories and these are actually coming from a book that when we interviewed uh, Dr. Robert Cochran down at the U of A, some of the stories he used, he actually took from this book. Mm-hmm. These are stories that were collected by a guy named S.C. Turnbow. Such a good exploring name. Dude, it's classic. Mm-hmm. And this guy is like one, one of the old school original you know, Ozarkers. He was, he was here um, in the 1800s and into the early 1900s uh, through the Civil War. And was growing up in this time, and and he just had a fascination with people who were settlers, frontiersmen, guys who you know they were hunters, they were rough people. Uh, he's got stories with Indians and all kinds of stuff like that. And so, kind of like us in a way, he went around talking to a bunch of different people and just wrote them down basically as he went. If podcasting would have been around back then, he probably would have had a podcast and he probably would have interviewed these people. And so this is a collection of his stories from these different informants that he's, he's interviewed. This specific collection from S.C. Turnbow is actually the largest collection of Ozark folklore in existence. So if you're like us and you like the romance of an old story rooted in a place that you can actually physically go to, maybe in a, you know, hour, two hour drive, maybe less, maybe a little bit more, these stories are for you. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. So this first story is called A Hard Struggle with a Panther. Every pioneer in Northwest Arkansas has heard of Sammy Hudson. Many knew him personally, as he was a noted hunter and a prominent citizen of Newton County, Arkansas. Hudson was a remarkable bee hunter and always had on hand an abundance of wild honey for home use. After the close of the Civil War, he became much interested in beekeeping and owned a large number of beehives and has been known to have as much as 800 pounds of honey on hand at a time. He lived eight miles above Jasper, the county seat, and was one of the earliest settlers on Little Buffalo Creek. In 1854, he was attacked by a panther, the awful scars of which combat he carried to the grave. 
Accompanied by Johnny, his little five-year-old boy, he went into the forest to cut a bee tree. Hudson carried his axe, butcher knife, and a large bucket. Arriving at the tree, the old hunter soon felled it, and after chopping off a block in order to reach the honey, his attention was called to a loud, coarse growl on a steep hillside nearby. There crouched on the ground was a large panther, seemingly in an awful rage. It had apparently seen an enemy or was looking for one. Hudson had neither dog nor gun. Picking up a stone, he hurled it at the beast. The missile struck the ground a few yards above the furious animal. The stone rolled down toward it, and the beast caught it in its mouth. This seemed to increase its rage. It dropped the stone, and with a dreadful growl, it sprang along the hillside toward the hunter. A big log lay between the beast and Hudson, with the top end down the hill. The large end was within 20 feet of the stump of the bee tree. The panther ran along the top of the log, and when it reached the end, it gave a long leap toward the frightened man, who now realized that a battle was to be fought. Hudson braced himself to resist it. The terrible creature sprang forward, and when, within a few feet, the hunter hurled his axe at it, but missed. As the ferocious animal reached him, Hudson raised his left hand and arm to protect his breast and face. As he did, so the panther caught his arm in its mouth when the terrible struggle began. The beast held fast and commenced to lacerate his flesh with its long, sharp claws. The man was dealing heavy blows with his clenched right hand. His clothing was torn in shreds. Streams of blood flowed freely from great wounds inflicted by the animal claws. The struggling man and desperate panther were red with human blood. Hudson was rapidly losing strength, yet he did not lose courage or presence of mind. The little boy stood within a few feet of the battle, being too young to realize the perilous position his father was in, and looked on as an idle spectator. As the combat continued, the little fellow called out, Daddy, do you think you can whip it? And the father was too busy to reply. Dark thoughts rose before the man, as he realized that if the panther gained the battle, it would destroy the child. This gave him renewed energy. The man fought with desperation to save the life of his child as well as his own life. The boy supposed it was a fight as if between man and man. The butcher knife was on the ground nearby the boy. Presently, the little fellow seemed to realize that the beast would kill his father, and he cried out, Daddy, do you want your knife? The despairing man heard him and replied, Yes, quick! The boy advanced boldly and handed the knife to his father, who in turn thrust the keen blade into the panther's body. Withdrawing it, he again sank the bloody knife into the body of the beast and turned the blade in the wound. Then he swooned and fell from exhaustion. But the knife had done its work well, for as Hudson fell, the panther reeled and fell dead on top of him. After a short time, the weak man managed to crawl from under his victim and drag himself away from the bloody scene. And with the aid of his little boy, he struggled to get home. As his lifeblood was ebbing away, his little boy covered some of the wounds with mud. It was many days before he was able to hunt bee trees. Ugly scars were left on his head, face, breast, and arms. Hudson was quite popular with the settlers before the incident, but now they loved him the more and thought him worthy of a place in the legislature and he was elected to represent them in that capacity. 
When he arrived at the Capitol, the members of the assembly were eager to shake hands with the man who had killed a panther in a combat. Hudson engaged in the mercantile business a few years later. A part of his goods were hauled from Springfield, Missouri. One day, while in the town named, a lot of young fellows who had heard of his combat collected around him and asked more questions than he desired to answer. Finally, he told them, Yes, I was the man who killed the panther, and I can whip the whole crowd of you fellows. The youngsters saw a fight in his eyes and immediately apologized. As pioneers pass the spot where the struggle for life transpired, they are occasionally heard to say, There's where Hudson fought so desperately to save the life of himself and the little boy. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks, but there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight, so your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you gotta know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and hollers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code Ozark Air for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. So there's a story that happened on the Little Buffalo. He lived eight miles above Jasper, the county seat, and was one of the earliest settlers on the Little Buffalo. Yes. So in the new year, we have an episode coming out featuring somebody who lives on the Little Buffalo. We were just over there. We were just over there. So that story is squarely in that in that part of the world. And another interesting thing, or <clears throat> maybe it's a wish. I wish we still lived in a world where you could be elected to uh, an official <laughs> seat because you fought a panther in one. That's awesome. Dude, like, like that guy's trustworthy. That I'll let him I'll let him run the city. <laughs> that captures to me the period and the people of the time. Like Absolutely. this guy killed a panther. Let's elect him. Absolutely. He should run things. Let's read one more. The story is called A Lively Fight with a Bear. A worthy and much esteemed citizen who died on Crooked Creek in Marion County, Arkansas, several years ago was John H. Tabor, who also was among the earliest settlers on the Upper White River. In referring to the game that existed in the White River Hills when he came there in 1826 and for many years thereafter, Mr. Tabor said that it was astonishing to think about. One could hardly pass through the forest without being in sight of deer and turkeys. 
I've seen as many as 20 bucks in one bunch from 150 to 200 wild turkeys in one flock. Bee trees were so plentiful that almost every hollow tree was occupied by a swarm of bees, he said. Mr. Tabor has killed many a fat bear. An account of his experience with these animals, if put into book form, would fill many pages. One of his most amusing stories of encountering Bruin was told by him to the writer in this manner. When I bought my claim here on Crooked Creek, two miles below Powell in Marion County in 1836, I made a small clearing in the creek bottom and planted it in corn in the spring of 1837. The land was fertile and produced a fine crop of corn, but as soon as it was roasted in ear, bear, deer, squirrels, and everything else seemed to concentrate in my little field of corn. I guarded it all I could, but the wild animals devoured nearly all the crop in spite of me. Bear invaded it day and night, and so did the other animals. One afternoon, I took my rifle and my favorite dog I called Blue and started to the creek bottom as usual to drive out the wild beast. When I had got down to the foot of the bluff near the field fence, a large hawk flew and lit on the limb of a tree where I was passing. I stopped and shot at the hawk but missed it. Squirrels were so numerous that I had seen several of them running out in the field and seeing no larger game, I thought I would kill enough squirrels for supper and reloaded my gun with squirrel shot. But just before I'd finished reloading it, the dog darted off up the side of the bluff and run beyond my view. Very soon after he was gone, I heard him barking in a vigorous way. And before I could have counted 10, I seen the dog coming back in a fast run with a big bear in pursuit of him. The dog made no halt until he got to where I stood. The bear got in 10 paces of me before it discovered me. Then it stopped. By this time, I was ready to shoot again. And, while Bruin was standing and gazing at me, I fired the load of squirrel shot into its body and down it tumbled and come rolling down the face of the bluff towards me. The short sycamore log lay a few feet below where the bear fell and the animal rolled against it and its weight started the log. And here come bear and log together. Down the foot of the bluff where the log lodged against the sapling and stopped and the bear stopped against the log. I suppose the bear was dead and was puzzled to know where the squirrel shot had hit him to kill a bear so easily but I was counting chickens before hatching time. For all at once, Bruin got up, which surprised me no little, and the dog was equally as astonished as I, but he was delayed no time before he sprang forward and made a vigorous attack on his bear ship. But Bruin was so large and stout that he soon caught the dog by the throat with its teeth and held him like a vice. I had no time to reload my gun, but I was determined to save the dog's life if I could. So I dropped the gun to the ground and snatching my hunting knife from the scabbard, I uttered a, ye a loud yell, and rushing up to the bear, I sank the blade of the knife into the bear's body. At this moment, my other two dogs, which I had left at the house a few minutes before, hearing the racket come bounding down the bluff and attacked the bear, which compelled the beast to release the dog to defend himself. He only stood his ground for a moment before the reinforcement of the dogs gave him a scare, and he seemed to think it best to retreat, and away he went followed by the two dogs." The other dog was not able to go. I now reloaded my rifle with a bullet and went after him. The bear had run 200 yards before it came to a halt, and when I come up, the dogs were baying it, and I shot it again, and down it fell once more, and up it got again and fought the dogs as lively as ever. I reloaded my rifle and shot it a third time and killed it for good. My dog was so severely hurt by the bear that it was many days before he fully recovered. This was his last bear fight, for I never could persuade him to tackle another bear. He had enough of Bruin, and he had just enough sense to know it. So there's a story about a guy... Defending his corn. Defending his corn with his dog. 
and some squirrel shot. <laughs> shot at a hawk, missed it. <laughs> Figured he was going to kill some squirrels. And then old old bear, bear came Bear comes along. And I just, I man, I can't imagine a time where people live that way. I mean, I know it, it exists clearly, but like to think about now in these places where we all live, that was what you did was I'm planting a field and now mm-hmm. all I do is protect it and guard it as much as I can day and night. I'm, you know, keeping squirrels, keeping deer, keeping bear off of it. It's only up to me. Like I am my... I am my last line of defense mm-hmm. to protect my food source. So much so that I'll go after a bear with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> if it's going to get into my corn. It's like vengeance. And if it's got point. one of my dogs. Yeah. So we uh, we hope you all enjoyed some of those stories. Again, we just wanted to, to come on and say we've really enjoyed, you know, putting together the show this year. Thank you all for listening and, and sharing episodes and engaging with us. We're seeing a lot of people just, you know, reaching out and saying what they like, what they don't like. So it's been it's been fun. Um, mm-hmm. We hope to keep bringing y'all more episodes every week. And next year, you know, we're getting into trapping episodes coming up. We'll be spending some time outside, you know, doing a little bit more. Some more Buffalo River stuff. Buffalo River stuff. So we've got some fun stuff. And then, you know, spring's right around the corner. And we get back into some fishing, smallmouth, some turkeys. Turkeys, trout, you know it. All kinds of stuff. So we've got a lot planned for y'all. And so, again, thank y'all. We'll see y'all in the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com.